Hello, I'm Mark Tallman with the Kansas Association of School Boards. On Monday, April 20th, new state revenue estimates were released, and that's created a lot of questions about what it may mean for the state budget and school funding. So let's try to answer some of those. Kansas uses a process called the Consensus Revenue Estimate. It's done twice a year, and the people who do it are folks from the Legislative Research Department, the Division of Budget, the Department of Revenue, and economists from our state universities. The goal of this, which has been done for a number of decades, is to have one agreed-upon number that the executive and legislature in both parties will all agree on when trying to figure how much money is going to be available to spend every year. The estimate is done twice a year, in early November, and that's used for the governor to put together the budget recommendation that goes to the legislature, and again in, again in late April, which is what we just received, that's designed to help the legislature make its final budget decisions. The big news this week is that the new estimate reduced the expectation from November by $827 million in the current fiscal year, which ends June 30th, and another $445 million next year, fiscal 21, for a total two-year reduction of about $1.3 billion. How big a deal is a reduction of about $1.3 billion over a two-year period? Well, in 2019, total state general fund receipts in Kansas were about $7.4 billion. The vast majority of that came from really just two sources, income taxes and sales and excise taxes. And the biggest portion of those were individual income taxes. About $3.8 billion comes from individuals, another less than $500 million from corporate income taxes and financial institution fees. Sales and excise taxes make up about $3 billion. Most of that is just general retail sales, the tax you pay when you buy groceries or buy a new car. The compensating use tax is what you are supposed to pay if you make purchases from out of state and are not charged the sales tax. This would also include some internet purchases. Then there are a number of other small sources of revenue, tobacco fees, uh, alcohol fees, the state severance tax, certain other miscellaneous income, and then finally the state general fund may have transfers, either money that comes from other areas into the fund or transfers out of the fund to go to other specialized programs within the state. Finally, there's just a little bit of interest in agency earnings that might be available. So all told, 51% of state general fund revenues in 2019 were individual income taxes, 6% corporate income taxes, just about a third retail sales taxes, Compensating use fees were about 6%, and if you're doing the math, that means all those other revenues that I talked about make up just about 5% of total general fund revenues. Perhaps the simplest way to measure the impact that the lowered reductions had is to look at the ending balance of the state general fund. In other words, that's the difference between the amount of money coming in in revenues and any balances on hand subtracting all the spending that's done in that year and seeing what's left. The legislature has approved a budget for the current year, uh, ending 2020. It's also approved a budget for next year, fiscal 2021. The last year that is over, uh, fiscal 2019, the general fund ending balance was a little over a billion dollars. 
Under the budget expectations that were passed before the legislature ended in March, the ending balance was expected to be about $626 million. And for next year, 2021, the ending balance was still expected to be about $731 million. Fairly healthy. With the new estimates, the current year's ending balance dropped from over $900 million to just $200 million. And for next year, the ending balance dropped from $731 million to a projected deficit of $653 million. In other words, the legislature expected, based on the revenue projections from November, to end next year with over $730 million. Now, because of the change, we're facing a $650 million deficit. Unlike the federal government, the state can't run a deficit, and that means some action will have to be taken. It probably will fall to the legislature, which can either reduce spending that it's already approved, increase revenues if there's a way to find other taxes or other sources of revenue that could bring more in, or make changes in transfers, try to bring money from other programs into the state general fund. For a number of years, that's been done with money that is flowing to the state highway program from sales taxes. That's very controversial. The legislature's tried to end it, but in the past, that was one of the, the tools made to handle situations like this. If the legislature doesn't act, the governor can make what are called allotments. Basically, that's just a word for spending cuts ordered by the governor. If there's a projection that the state general fund balance will drop below zero, the governor can make targeted spending reductions in whatever area he or she would want to do. If the governor wants to have a $100 million positive inning balance or somewhere between, reductions have to be across the board. In other words, all programs would have to be cut by the same amount. And the governor's administration has some tools to manage uh, a financial situation by doing things like delaying spending or aid payments. For example, you could push uh, payments that are supposed to be made at the end of a fiscal year into the next fiscal year to avoid a deficit. Of course, that just moves the problem down a year and has to be dealt with eventually. The other thing that is unknown that is not controlled by the governor or legislature is possible federal aid. Uh, this is whatever the federal government might decide to, spend, to send in the way of assistance. Kansas always receives hundreds of millions of dollars in federal aid. We know in the current crisis, more, more aid has been provided and more might be on the way. From a management viewpoint, it's important to know that right now the current fiscal year is over 85% completed, so it'll be very hard to make many adjustments. If the legislature doesn't take action in the next few few weeks or, or possibly months and waits until next year when the regular session comes back in January of 2021, that fiscal year will already be half over. If the legislature or governor have to make cuts, where would those be made? Well, we don't know that, but we can look at where state general fund money now goes. And the biggest portion of the state general fund goes to support K-12 education. In 2020, or I'm sorry, 2019, the, the last year that we have actual uh, data approved in the year over, 52% of state general fund expenditures went to K-12 education. Another 11% went to higher education, the universities, community colleges, technical colleges. 26% of the state general fund went to human services. 
these include, and one of the largest parts is the uh, match the state makes for Medicaid payments, for medical services for low-income Kansans. It also includes funding for state hospitals, state health programs, foster care services, Basically, all of those services aimed at the poor or the sick or the aging fall into that category. About 6% of general fund spending goes to public safety. Think of the prison system within the state. And the only remaining amount is in a category all other, which is only 5% of the state general fund. So it's extremely difficult to address the state general fund if you don't want to address K-12 education, if you don't want to address higher education, if you don't want to address human services or cut human services, and if you don't want to open prisons, uh, you don't have much left. That's why, generally speaking, when the legislature has to make deep cuts in the general fund, they fall uh, in some way across the board, or they have to fall higher on the areas that are not being targeted. It's probably no surprise that what is causing this dramatic change in revenue is due to the economic assumptions that result from the coronavirus pandemic. That is expecting almost unprecedented reductions in economic activity in the state and country, although the same assumptions that the group made expect that there will be recovery next year in 2021. And just to give an example, in November, the estimate group, the experts that put this together, expected that Kansas personal income, which is the total income of all residents in the state from all sources, would grow at about 3.6%. They were expecting that for the United States as a whole, growth would be at about 4%. The new estimate suggests that the national uh, national per personal income will drop by 3.2%, a decline, and Kansas personal income will actually fall a little bit more, fall by about 3.4%. So we're actually believing that income will be less uh, this year. Uh, next year, it is expected to recover. Uh, for 2021, Kansas personal income is expected to grow 3.7% but it's coming off a much lower base. And that's creating the problems because, as we said, most general fund revenue comes from income tax. And if incomes are declining, income tax revenue will also decline. The result is that total state general fund revenues, which based on the November estimates were expected to be about $7.5 billion, are now expected to be less than $7 billion. And for next year, even though uh, revenue is expected to grow back above seven, uh, $7 billion, it will still be below the level that was expected uh, on the estimate that was made in November. So all of this is contributing to lower revenues, lower ending balance to be available to fund state programs. The new revenue estimates aggravate trends that were already in place. In 2019, expenditures were actually below revenue, so the ending balance was growing. The increased spending that the legislature authorized for the current year moved slightly above the expected revenue from back in November and a little bit farther ahead of that uh, than, what, than what was for 2021. Now we see that the April revenue estimates suggest that revenues will actually decline in the current year and not even recover to the level that they were. 
that's creating a growing difference between revenues and expenditures. In fact, between 2019 and 2021, the two-year budget that the legislature has just approved uh, um, last month, expenditures increased over a billion dollars. So where did that money go? Well, about half of it, slightly more than that, went to K-12 education. Perhaps surprisingly, the biggest piece of that were actually payments to the state retirement system, funding that does not actually go to school districts for operation, but instead was being increased to deal with past underfunding in the system. About 26% of that billion dollar increase was for CAPERS payments for school districts. Another 24% were increases in general state aid or base state aid for school districts. That's the building block of school finance and another 4% of the increase went to other K-12 aid programs. These include special education and equalization payments that the state makes for local option budgets and capital outlay to compensate for the fact that some districts have less taxable wealth and have more difficulty raising an equal amount of money to spend. Of that billion dollar increase, about 46% went to non-K-12 education programs. Um, again, human services, higher education, public safety or other programs were included in about 46% of that roughly billion dollar increase. If the governor or legislature want to consider reductions in K-12 funding as part of how they address this issue, They'll have to be mindful of the situation the state is in relative to the Kansas Supreme Court and the Gannon School Finance decision. The current levels of funding were approved by the court as part of a long effort to settle the Gannon School Finance case. That includes a six-year phase-in of base state, base state aid increases designed to get the inflation-adjusted school budgets back to 2009 levels when adjusted for inflation. And the 2009 level is important because that's the level of constitutional funding that was established in the Montoy school finance case in the, in the last decade and a, and a settlement reached between the legislature and the Supreme Court over what suitable funding should be. It also includes those equalization programs that I talked about that were approved by the court at levels to prevent widening disparities in tax effort based on local wealth. One of the differences is that between now and the, and the Montoy case is that in the Montoy case, after the legislature passed a plan that was approved by the court, the case was dismissed. And beginning in 2009, the legislature, in the face of the last Great Recession, reduced state aid funding, did not fund equalization formulas. When schools protested, they had to start over with a whole new case. That's why it's the Gannon case instead of the Montoy case. This time, when the, when the court accepted the legislature's uh, proposed uh, settlement and plan, it approved it but retained jurisdiction. That means that if the legislature does not fund to those levels, the plaintiffs can go directly to the court and seek relief. What we don't know is whether the court would treat differently a situation caused by this health crisis and the economic fallout and other policy choices and funding choices the legislature might make. As I noted earlier, one of the biggest uh, factors in increased school funding in recent years has not been for the main school finance formula, but for the Kansas Public Employees Retirement System. 
CAPERS funding were not part of the Gannon lawsuit or the Gannon settlement. It's something that the legislature might more easily be able to reduce funding without running into constitutional issues. However, failure to fund CAPERS at the scheduled payment rate, the level that's been approved, increases the so-called unfunded liability in the system. Unfunded liability is the gap between the estimated cost of promised benefits in the future, estimated investment income, and the expected contributions. Uh, it's really up to the legislature to make up that gap. In the past, uh, for really several decades, the state has not put in the money that it was expected to fund the system, and that unfunded liability was really reaching a critical shortfall. Governors and legislatures in the past have been trying to reduce that gap, and that's the biggest reason that of that billion dollars, such a large part of that was for CAPERS, to try to correct that unfunded liability. And in fact, the CAPERS situation will likely be worse, at least in the short term, because CAPERS investments are often made in the stock market, which has also plummeted during this economic crisis. Another issue that could be discussed again is that Governor Laura Kelly has twice proposed to re-amortize the debt of the CAPER system. That basically means is instead of looking at how much has to be put in to close that unfunded liability gap uh, on current schedule, which is about 2034, the governor is suggesting pushing that date out a little bit further into the future. It's sort of like taking out a new mortgage on your home. It means that the annual payment could be less, but it also means it will take longer and more money in the long run to pay off. As we begin to wrap up, we should note, as I've alluded to, this is not the first time the legislature has faced a decline in state general fund revenues and a, and a budget, budget shortfalls as a result. Uh, state general fund revenues were rising pretty rapidly between 2002 and 2007, increasing from about $4 million to nearly $6 billion. But in 2008, when the often called Great Recession hit, state general fund revenues actually began dropping and fell from just under $6 billion to almost as low as $5 billion in 2010. As the economy began to recover, those revenues increased back to about $6.5 billion in 2012 and 2013. But when the legislature in that year passed steep income tax reductions, it caused a decline in state general fund uh, receipts, falling from over $6 billion to about $5.5 billion in 2014. That revenue then increased fairly slowly between 2014 and 2017 as the state annually struggled with budget shortfalls. And in 2017, the legislature largely repealed uh, those tax cuts. That meant that revenue increased to over $7 billion in 2018 and 2019 and was expected to continue to increase. However, the new projections suggest that revenue will drop back below $7 billion in 2020, and by 2021, exceed $7 billion, but still be below revenue levels in 2018 and 2019. Over that period of time, governors and legislatures did a number of things to deal with shortfalls in the past. From an education viewpoint, there were reductions in base state aid, which ultimately reduced school district operating budgets. 
The legislature froze or eliminated equalization aid, and of course that results in not only fewer dollars available, but wider disparities and more reliance on local property taxes. For two years, the legislature adopted, as Governor Sam Brownback proposed, block grants to school districts, which was essentially a way of freezing funding. Almost all other discretionary state programs were also reduced over this period of time, some much more deeply than K-12 education, which does enjoy, at least to some extent, a constitutional protection. The legislature also relied heavily on transfers from the state highway fund into the state general fund and even used a portion of highway dollars to fund transportation aid within the school finance formula. Those were controversial because it reduced the dollars available for highways, roads, and bridges within the state. We've already noted the legislature reduced or skipped or delayed payments to the CAPER system, which made the long-term unfunded liability worse, but was a way of getting through current years without reducing other programs as much. We've also seen delays and shifts in school district aid payments from one year to another to try to manage cash flow when things are very limited. The state borrowed from investment funds in, from idle money. That was done fairly recently and only within the past year was paid back. And then finally, the legislature did something which is called sweeping cash balances, going into state agencies, looking for funds that have been uh, accumulated and kind of balances for operating purposes, reducing those. What has been discussed, but not seriously proposed, would be taking a look at school district cash balances, which vary significantly from district to district. Finally, let's talk about the possibility of federal aid. During the Great Recession from 2008 to 2010, as Kansas faced major budget challenges, the federal government provided hundreds of millions of dollars in what was called stimulus aid. A lot of that went directly to K-12 education. In fact, it was used to partially fund base state aid and special education dollars. When those funds expired, not all was replaced, and that led to further reductions in K-12 aid. In the current crisis, Congress has already provided some aid to Kansas and other states. School districts will be receiving about $86 million in direct school district aid, most of which will be distributed based on the federal Title I formula. And if you're not an expert in federal aid to school districts, Title I is one of the largest uh, federal aid programs, and it's very much based on poverty. So if you're a district that has a lot of low-income students, you'll get a higher share than districts that don't have as many poor kids. In other words, it isn't distributed on a headcount basis or even uh, on a base state aid basis. State Board of, of Education has indicated that some money will also be sent through this state special education aid formula, which is distributed on the basis of special education teachers and aides. State has also received $26 million for the governor that can be used for either K-12 or higher education. It's the governor's choice on, on how to allocate those dollars. Higher education has also received about $100 million in funding. Finally, the state has received or is going to receive about $1.2 billion in additional aid to deal with the, the COVID epidemic. Uh, that sounds great. That's almost as much as the loss in revenue that is projected by the latest estimates. But most experts are saying it is unlikely that all or perhaps any of that money could be used to 
replace revenues that are being lost. So even though that's a lot of revenue, it may not be useful for where the state is losing dollars. There is some discussion of additional future funding. One might be to expand the federal E-rate program, which is a way of getting dollars to schools and libraries that's been used for several decades, based on the concern that so many students in Kansas and elsewhere are now having to learn from home, and many do not have the technology or internet access to do online learning that many other students are able uh, to, to take advantage of. In addition, there are discussions of direct state payments again to replace lost uh, general revenues at the state and local level. But that would depend on agreement between, of course, Republicans and Democrats in Congress and ultimately the Trump administration being able to agree to a program like that. We just don't know. So where it stands at this point, we know Kansas is going to have to take some actions. The legislature is expected to come back uh, sometime before mid-May for its final session, but because of ongoing health, health concerns, we don't know when or absolutely if that will happen. That doesn't happen unless there's a special session called by the governor. The legislature would not meet until next January, and that means the governor would have to try to address the issue between now and the return of the legislative session. As always, KSB will do our best to keep you apprised as to what's happening in state government as it affects education.